Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. Nate Oxberger played his college rugby at Minnesota, where he was an All-American. After college, he split his time between New York, where he played for the legendary Old Blue Club, and San Diego, where he was prepping for the Olympics. In the past year, Nate has received 12 caps for the USA 15s team and captained many of those squads. Still, his best rugby is ahead of him. You'll hear how he's battled injuries along the way and how, in many cases, it was the camaraderie of rugby that brought him through. You should check out some of his highlights on YouTube when you get a chance. The guy is fast, strong, tough, and kind. He's learned a lot about himself and life through the sport and now tries to give back as a coach and mentor. We had a great time sitting down with him, and we think you're going to enjoy it. So I'm a, I'm a second-generation American rugby player, so my dad played rugby. Um, he raised me and my brother inside of a rugby community pretty much. Uh, my parents, their friends. Um, that they spent their time around, had kids the same age. Uh, we all were at the fields during their games and stuff, and uh, that's how we got exposed to the sport. Um, so I was pretty lucky in, in that right, and uh, I played a bunch of other sports growing up. I wrestled. I, I'm you know, a Minnesota guy. I wrestled. Um, I played basketball. I played football. I played baseball. I played baseball until, well, I had to choose between rugby and baseball, and obviously, you know, I, I chose I chose the right one. Um, so I chose rugby, but, uh, yeah, so I'm a second generation player. I played for a long time and I was fortunate enough to get taught the sport and actually coached it when I was 11. Um, uh, so I have had a bit of a leg up on most American guys start when they're in high school, maybe some of them even at the collegiate level. Um, and, uh, I would say nowadays, you know, for me, that was, you know, 15 odd years ago, but nowadays, People are learning a lot younger. So um, I've, uh, I went to University of Minnesota. I played rugby all my career there. I was a captain. Um, after representing at the University of Minnesota, I was a collegiate All-American my very last year as a senior. And I moved out to San Diego to be a part of the Olympic Training Center uh, full-time residential um, contracted players. Um, where I lived for the next 18 months, and um, I made one tour. I, I made a, I made one tour. I went to Dubai in South Africa, and then I um, broke my ankle, and then I came back, and um, I eventually was ended up being cut. So I was cut from the USA Sevens program. I moved out to New York City shortly after that, and um, I just kept kept. Uh, kept my eyes focused on what I wanted to achieve and wanted to keep playing rugby. I wanted to keep going places with my life with rugby. Um, and uh, moving out to New York City was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. So I played rugby out there for Old Blue ever, ever since I've been there. Um, they have a Northeast Olympic Development Academy that I was a part of that ultimately got me back into the uh, USA 7 squad under Mike Friday, head coach Mike Friday. And um, uh, I'm Ended up moving back out to San Diego and joining the team. I was a fully contracted player. Uh, went on a lot of tours. Had had some really good success there. And um, went all the way up to the Olympic camp where I was um, 
ended up making the team to the Olympics and went to Rio as a traveling reserve. Um, so that was a great achievement in itself. And there's a lot of energy and effort that went into that. Um, and then during that time of trying to make the Olympics, I also uh, got capped for the USA 15 squad um, playing scrum half and under head coach John Mitchell. And I played every USA 15s cap game for a whole year since then, all the way up till now, where I've uh, I've been the USA 15s captain alongside Todd Clever, um, and uh, it's it's been great. So the uh, the journey the journey's been long. It's uh, it's been long, but I've been able to achieve a lot, and I would say I'm still scratching the surface of kind of the vision that I have for where I want my career to go and what I want to achieve. But uh, that's the gist of my my uh my my journey so i like it man no so you've given us a lot to talk about just in that little synopsis uh the first thing i want to ask about is like maybe a little bit of clarification uh for those in the rugby world who are or who have been around it um the idea of being capped like earning caps that's yeah that is completely familiar i'm not sure the average listener knows could you tell us a little bit more about that so to to the average listener what being capped is is officially representing your country. So the second that you step onto the field in a USA jersey during a test match, or if you're on the USA 7 circuit, once you step on that field, you are officially capped um, for that team. So I have 12 caps at this time. So I've stepped on the field 12 times in test matches for Team USA. And I think, the United States, yeah. Yeah, and I, and I have a bunch, I think I have Gosh, I can't believe I don't have this number in my head. I have about probably about fifteen odd uh, sevens tours I've been on over the uh, you know three year span that I've been on and off with the team. So for sure, um, I was just, I'm reading Paul O'Connell's biography. Is he still a familiar face? Yeah, or, familiar. Yeah, yeah familiar and face for sure. And they talk about caps all the time. He's pretty great. I actually so I played American football over in Ireland. I played a little bit in Spain. Rugby wasn't quite as big in Spain, but it was huge in Ireland, obviously. Uh, and we mm -hmm. actually shared a space with Paul O'Connell. The Battle. That's what it's called. Paul the O'Connell. Battle. It's called The Battle. I have heard of that. It, it, it's pretty solid, actually. It's, uh, it's kind of amazing. He's an old school, old school player. Talking about – one of the things that he talks about, though, reminds me of um, how you got into rugby. It's such a culture thing, right? Like, like mm. he, uh, Paul O'Connell uh, talks about uh, how essentially it's an unspoken rule that you play for your father's club you know, uh, coming up through the ranks. And, and what you talked about is, is a new thing, but probably a growing thing in the States, um, mm -hmm. you know, coming from like a rugby family. There's such a community around it. Uh, like the eating together, the, I don't, you probably weren't having pints after your games when you were probably, 10. But probably not me, but uh, there was a lot of pints. There were a lot, <laughs> a lot of, of pints drink, you know? For sure. Very yeah. social, yeah. Can you speak to that a little bit, like the culture of rugby compared to other sports? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's always had this kind of like I, I would call it like you know maybe a scar or, or something that where, where people think it's just about drinking and and you know un, unfortunately that gets talked about it ta gets talked about more. There's no pads, so you, so people get beat up, and then uh, there's more talk about the drinking, you know, which are are, are two true parts of the sport though as well. Um, but no, uh, I think as far as like the culture of the sport. Um, you know, it's, it, there's many ways to say it. Um, I've always loved 
it's a hooligans game played by gentlemen sort of thing. Um, there's a lot of camaraderie. There's a lot of respect. Um, and there's, there's a lot of just like those really good core values that happen on the field. And then they transfer to off the field. So off the field, there's usually tradition. So even at like the low levels of rugby or the high levels of rugby, there's usually a tradition after a match where teams will get together and things will be exchanged, whether that might be a player of the match and it's, you know, they got a boat race, you know, over a drink or whether it's, you know, a, a medallion that actually is a crest from an international side that would like to honor, you know, someone from the other party. So there's, there's a lot of tradition in rugby that actually unites everyone who's competing against each other rather than separate and, um, you know, make, make, there's, there's definitely heated battles, but, uh, it's, it's really a lot about unity. And so growing up, it's funny that you said, you know, to play for your father's club is like, you know, the, the biggest thing ever. It's like, if you don't play for your father's club, you're going to be looked at funny. Well, um, growing up, me and my brother both ended up playing for the team that my dad used to play against. And so that was always kind of funny because we, all the kids that I grew up playing with, or a, a bunch of them, a good handful, ended up playing with Metropolis, who is the team that my dad used to be affiliated with and, and play for back in the day. And then me and my brother both ended up playing for a Division Two side that was coached by someone who's me- mentored me, who I'm sure you're going to want to get into with. Um, but we both chose to play for the other team, and it's always been a kind of a funny uh, funny dynamic in the rugby community that the the Augsburger boys went over to the Banshees and you know there's all these other stud players that play for Metropolis so but um the culture is is just it it really brings people together in a lot of different ways and and that's something special for the sport you know yeah for sure tell me a little bit more about that mentor if you don't mind first of all well let me actually before you do that let me uh elaborate on the that idea from my side at least from what I've seen because I think you're so spot on that it seems like rugby has one of the better balances of, you know, we're doing this thing where we're trying to highlight coaches and the most successful coaches. And our theory is that those coaches uh, are able to balance kindness and toughness. They're able to be competitive, but also caring. You know, that finding that balance really gets the most out of human beings, which is like, you know, that's who's engaging. And there's no falsity to it. It's like um, you step onto the field or to the pitch and you are genuinely, I mean, it's aggressive, it's tough, it's highly competitive, it's also highly skilled and structured. But then once you're off, it's like you don't have to keep up that bravado necessarily. You know what I mean? No. You, you did yeah. the work, right? The work is done and then you go. Um, the pint sharing, yeah, people could could misrepresent that. But it's just like it's a bunch of guys hanging out. I remember when we saw um, that post-party, the get-together with uh, the Lions and Old Blue, it was exactly what you said. These guys are just battling. You know, like one of probably the top team in New York, one of the top teams in Chicago battling and they're like hanging out. And I think um, you mentioned the exchange. It was either a signed ball or jersey, something like that, kind of giving gifts back and forth. That, that's a, that seems very genuine and probably unique to rugby, really. Now, and yeah, so, and who are the people who kind of showed you that way? You mentioned that mentor for your club team. Yeah, so, so I, had, um, I had a Polynesian, he's Samoan, his name's Sam Robinson, and he, uh, he married a woman from Minnesota. So he was in Minnesota. And when I was in high school, he came out and started working with our high school team, which was so, so such an awesome opportunity just to have someone who, who's got a, a you know, uh, he's grown, he, he grew up, he played 
rugby. He played in Australia. He played in New Zealand. And, and regardless of whether his pr- playing career was, you know, getting capped for an international side or whether it was playing division, it's like that rugby is obviously a lot further along. So having him there to mentor me and develop me as a player helped a lot. He also probably done the hardest part with someone like, you know, I'm a passionate guy. I wear my emotions on my sleeve. I still have times where I got to like put myself in place, you know, but as a mentor, the, the way he helped me grow and, and handle just like the things during a rugby game, um, you know, not getting your head spun up and stuff, not getting, not taking yourself out of the game, not getting down about stuff, not, you know, he, he was the first person, um, who helped me translate that from rugby and and use that off the field as well. So he, uh, he's someone I still text this day. He's someone who watches me all the time. He prefers sevens more than he does 15s. I'm sure he's always texting me. Oh, uh, so you gotta, you gotta get back in the, uh, in the sevens team and go make the world cup and stuff that's coming up this year. And, uh, but he's always really encouraging. So he's always been someone who like, as, as a as a player and as as a guy growing up, like in high school, I loved rugby. I loved it. It was one of my favorite sports. And uh, he kind of believed in me. Like he, he believed in me enough to the point where like I kind of, I believed I was really good at it, you know. Um, and it wasn't until I got to college and I, I played as a freshman with the University of Minnesota. I started at scrum half and I, I had an awesome, awesome season, awesome start to college rugby. I, I played really well. And it wasn't until college when, you know, I really felt like, oh, wow, I actually might be able to do this, you know, past maybe what all my buddies are doing or past past the expectations. And uh, I would give Sam Robinson a lot of credit for that because from the day he saw me to like now, he is always just seeing something in me that he thought was special and that was worthwhile. And I think he's seen it in a lot of guys in the Minnesota rugby community, like my older brother, for instance. Uh, he's, he's been a great coach and mentor to a lot of guys in the Minneapolis rugby community. Um, but yeah, he, he grew me all the way up until I eventually graduated college because I played for his sevens team. Uh, we were called the Young Bloods then, and that's where we played in the Midwest, we played against the Lions, we played against all these, uh, all these Midwest competition teams. And that was when the Lions were super dominant. Like, I don't even know if we, we beat them to this day, like young bloods did, but, um, we're a very special young, young group of talented players. And we're all just riding the ship. That was Sam Robinson who, who really helped us, you know, helped us believe in each other and help us play a good caliber of rugby. So totally. And that's amazing. And I think like finding what was unique in you and highlighting the strength in you, seems like a special component to that, right? I think there's probably a lot of coaches out there that know their sport, that understand strategy, that probably get training and, and know the mood of a practice. But once you couple that, it's, or maybe even more importantly, it's not till you couple that with individualized attention and highlight certain attributes and, and help people work on their, you know, certain areas that you really get the most out of people. And it sounds like Sam was that guy for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He was. He was, and it's important to have someone when you're young and you're growing up. Mind you, like I'm, I'm from a great family. I think my my best support system is my mom, my dad, and my older brother. You know, like straight up, come from great family. You know, but it's still important when you're when you're out and you're playing sports and you're surrounded by a bunch of 
you know, you're going to school and all that stuff. Like, it's important that, you know, even though my dad can teach me uh, as, as many lessons as, as possible, you know, as a father, which he was always there for me, um, you know, it's important you have someone outside of that circle as well that, that can help you um, grow in other areas that maybe your parents can't get to. Maybe you don't allow them into that area, so you put them on, you know. And my dad was a coach as well, so he was always there for it. But, um, no, Sam Robinson, like, he, he was able to get through to me in a way that, um, yeah, like I said, created belief, but also, like, gave me stability as a player to, like, kind of grow up and, and be more mature so I could have a career. So, and, and you are doing a little bit of that for people. We're going to come back to that point in a minute, but before we – do I want to hear more about this broken ankle as weird as that sounds because yeah. I think there's no question that one of the things that that sports teaches you when when it goes well is resilience right and how to deal with adversity we tell everyone like one of the only guarantees in life or in sports let's just keep to sports one of the only guarantees in sports is that things are not always going to go your way that someday your career is going to end you know like there are certain absolutes and it sounds morbid but we essentially like we try to empower people to deal with these things overcoming a broken ankle to do the things you've done, I think is pretty special. Can you tell us a little more about it? Yeah, so so I was I was still pretty young in the USA squad. So like I said, I, I went to Dubai in Port Elizabeth. This was late in 2012. So I was fresh out of school, training my butt off, you know, working out with guys. And it was early 2013. I had missed the next tour, which was Vegas. So I missed out on Vegas. So I was playing with the actually like the the development team of USA, right? So it's all us guys who didn't make the team. We're going to play in the tournament um, outside. All right, sweet. So you deal with the disappointment of, of not being on the team. But, like, we had a really good group of guys. Like, Madison Hughes was on my team. Uh, Brett Thompson. Or, no, Brett might have been playing in the stadium. Uh, a bunch of guys that are on the team or ended up being a part of the team were, were on that team. And, uh, yeah, it was just one of those plays I kind of got – caught uh i was running i got caught high and then the person landed back on my ankle snap whatever so um this was back in 2013 so um that was the last time there was sevens world cup it was going to be in russia and that was going to be late in the summer i think similar time to to the world cup for sevens this year right and uh so i broke my ankle and i was just kind of like all right you know, when stuff like that, when, when your season or your progress or whatever gets halted, you you do have to take a second and you have to take a step back and just figure out where your mindset is going to be. And I had mindset on, you know, getting healed and trying to make that team and see if I could be healthy enough for maybe like the last tour on the, uh, on the, on the circuit season. And, um, I had a great group of a great bunch of help um, from a physio that I still text with every day. His name's Brian Green. He still still works with the USA Sevens team, and um, I was actually running, sprinting again two and a half months after my injury. So so it was my first major injury where I was had to get legitimate surgery. I have a plate in my ankle; it'll be there forever. It's the best tape job I've ever had. I had so much success my recovery that's how I remember it is having just such a successful recovery that I think it just gave me a lot of a lot of confidence for the setbacks that can come with sport so getting through that I put myself in contention contention didn't make the world cup squad it was you know you know every time you have you you don't make a team it's like dang you wish you could have done something else or you what what could I have done but um 
you know, I'm also one of the guys who I stick to my processes. I, I work extremely hard. And so when I do find that things don't go my way, when I do miss out on something like that, um, when I, when I get injured, uh, it's frustrating. My wife would tell you that I'm an absolute head case, but I, I usually keep the grindstone and just focus on, on the future, you know, the day. Totally. And, and so, uh, you said it was two and a, you were sprinting two and a half months later. What did, what was the rehab like? Like you, so you got a plate surgically implanted, uh, then yeah. what kind of stuff was your physio helping you do? So the, the, the biggest thing is when you break your ankle, so I broke the outside. And so when they put the plate in there, you got to find mobility back in your ankle. So you can't reach your knee over your toe for like, you know, quite some time, spend the first six months or whatever, like, First three months in a boot, then you, you know, next three months doing, or, or first first six months in a boot or, or, or six weeks, sorry, six weeks in the boot or whatever. But we were doing uh, a lot of aggressive therapy. I, I've, I've found that aggressive therapy is something that is good for athletes. I mean, you want to stay in shape when you get hurt and you want to be training. So he would literally be on his hands and knees. I'd lay on my back and um, he would resist my knees while like I pulled up to, you know, to do like running form stuff. And he, we would do fitness like that or we'd do extra core stuff to make sure my body was staying fit. And then as far as the ankle went, you know, uh, at the Olympic Training Center, we have we had, we had, had we're so spoiled with the amount of stuff that we have at our disposal. But um. No, it was just a consistent grind day day to day, and if things flare up, you gotta take a second and take a step back. But um, no, it's just a lot of different exercises. Mainly keeping the whole body going is what's gonna help that area actually continue to stick up with it as well. So totally, I love that term, aggressive therapy. It sounds, I mean, it's logical enough, but I think a lot of people, um. You know, if something happens, and we deal with this all the time, we, uh, among other things, we're running a strength and conditioning program that has anywhere between 12 and 1,400 people in it, and that's only the in-house. That's not even including outside consultation, things like that. Uh, and one of the things that we deal with so frequently is you get something like an ankle or shoulder injury, something happens, and then the people, it seems like their natural inclination is to shut down to zero, wait to recharge right. to full 100% capacity, and then they don't realize, though, that, that three months later, now you're starting from near zero. Um, but that aggressive therapy makes complete sense. That's the angle that we go to as well or try to. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, that's like day to day as, as a guy who's doing a sport professionally, like, yes, you, you are foam rolling areas of your body, you know, whether it's your legs are sore, your calves are sore, you do have to get in on those on a daily basis. And it should, it should be, you know, not, not painful to the point you bruise, but like you need to be you need to be putting pressure. And it's like, if, if you're not doing those sort of things, you know, if I take, if I take two days straight with no physical activity on the third day, I feel terrible. Like my body is like not functioning the same way. So like, I'm the kind of guy, it's like, you know, I got an off day on a Wednesday. Well, I got to do something, whether it's yoga, go for a run, go for a walk even is better than just sitting around. And like, you know, I'm a terrible vacationer. If I go on a vacation, you know, if I'm on the beach, I might even jog a little bit just to kind of like say I did something, you know. Yes. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, if I take more than two days off, man, I'm 
I'm like, what, what am I doing? My body feels terrible. I, I do know because I, uh, I know a lot of people that are in the same boat. I think I'm one of them. I get critiqued because if I'm – same idea, on vacation, day off, whatever, uh, I every now and then can be found doing pull-ups on the nearest whatever play set, swing set, something like that. Just, just trying to be active and it's so, it's so natural. It, it, it doesn't sound weird. I'm actually reading a book right now. John Rady, he wrote um, a book called Spark that like legitimately changed my life. It took a lot of journal – um, study journal science journal papers and made it very it made it e- easier to digest he made it um, he made essentially neuroscience sound like a story and you could read through it and that kind of changed my life he's this book is probably two or three years old but it goes back to like why people uh, are inclined to do exactly what you're talking about right like the truth is like every we were all built to move right and if you just if you are sedentary for three days consecutively uh, you're going against like every bit of uh, evolution and biology and uh, your genetic code. It's the truth. We've we've essentially trained ourselves. Um, this might sound over the top. We're talking about rugby and stuff, but like uh, we're essentially, <laughs> but we've trained ourselves to go against uh, what we were built to do. Right? It's a learned thing to sit and wait. Um, I th- it makes right. total sense that as an athlete, um, you'd want a proactive recovery. There's also, and, and this is another thing which is uh, so valuable about overcoming or coming back from injury and rehab and stuff like that is there's an element of accountability, right? Like you're going to heal eventually, but it's it, yeah. but for the mindset stuff like you're talking about, when you and your physio or whoever's directing the process, uh, whenever you guys are going through that process that you mentioned, uh, you have, there's a degree of ownership. Right, you can wake up in the morning and do something about it, and that level of ownership, um, I think, speaks volumes. Especially once you get to the back end and realize how far you've come. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, and a lot of that that ownership or accountability that you're going to have during that time period is gonna is gonna relate and correlate over to when you're actually healthy again. You know, and you look at you look at any sport. I mean, you look at like. You know, I'm a Minnesota Vikes fan. It's easy. Like Adrian Peterson. I was just going to bring it up. Yeah. Absolute, absolute freak. You know what I mean? Like, but you know, that dude was, was crazy probably the way he was training and working out to get back. Um, but like guys do it all the time. You know, it's, if you can take that process seriously and as you said, have, have accountability, you, you will get back to where you want to go. You know what I mean? That is something that when they do the 30 for 30 on Adrian Peterson someday, I mean that, I know, ACL, that would be good, right? it'll come up, yeah. right? It's not a, it's not like a doctor repaired his knee and, and then he came back to have an MVP season because he repaired his knee so well. It's like, I yeah. bet that guy hit rehab like an absolute beast, right? And was training mm-hmm. his mindset and was so hungry. Um, I can only imagine. I got a, I got a really good story actually related to that. If you want to hear it. Um, so my buddy uh, that plays on the USA Sevens team, Garrett Bender, me and him grew up, play high school rugby together, just whatever, lightning struck, and both of us ended up playing for USA Sevens, and he was on the team for the Olympics and all that. Um, I can't remember what year it was, but at some point over the winter, me and him had gone home, and he was recovering from from a, a light injury and he was training at home and uh, he was like, hey, man, do you want to come downtown and and see this guy that I've been working with? Uh, they do some pretty cool stuff. And I'm like, all right, yeah, sweet. So I go down there and uh, we're downtown, probably in like the lifetime area, like, this, you know, great facilities, great stuff. We do a cryo cha- chamber, which is like, you know, obviously one of the newest, hottest things, just like 
put yourself in 115 degree weather or whatever and stand there and then come out of it and your body feels just absolutely rejuvenated. Um, and then he also hooked us up to these like electric machines that are like a workout. And Garrett Bender told me like, this is some of the stuff that Adrian Peterson was doing when he had his knee injury. So what they do is literally connect these things to like the big parts of your muscles and they turn the machine on and it would literally make them flex. So they would literally, they would just be like, all right, um, just go over there, uh, get your heels a little bit off the ground and get down into a squat. And then they'd turn this, this thing on and it would like tense your muscles on and off and you would just hold that position. And we did a couple different exercises like that. I'd never been so sore in my entire life. And I was like, yeah, that is that is why Adrian Peterson was back and flying around because that thing was unbelievable. Like, I don't even know how the science, I don't know the, the science behind it, but like, it was, it was incredible. And I was like, it's just like, man, it, imagine Adrian Peterson just in his, in his bedroom, just like hooked up to these things, like nonstop, you know what I mean? But pretty interesting experience yeah definitely i think uh so i think it's ems you're referring to uh and and believe it or not if i'm not i could have this totally wrong we'll double check before we publish this uh but i'm pretty sure the science was developed the thought was developed uh initially to help people come back from like traumatic injury right it was to help people rehab and i think they uh actually looked they did it a little bit in um uh people who have been paralyzed or have lost use of of a limb in some way um, pretty, pretty interesting stuff. We got to look into that. Coach Nadolma, we got to do some research because yeah, I, th- I think it's huge. And, I, and, and I've actually heard people like, is there a way that we could complement um, like a healthy individual who's going through a regular training program? Could we like identify deficiencies and, and add some EMS to that? Uh, I mean, right. like, not just as a rehab, but as like a supplement to an existing training program. I don't know where we're going to go. I don't know if that's cheating or not, but uh, <laughs> I have no idea either. I like it though. All right. Well, one of the last things we we can't get off without um, hearing about how you're like giving back to other people, right? Like, so you you've mentioned you've got mentors. You, it seems like you've learned a lot from the sport. Um, can you tell us about your experience as a coach, uh, maybe specifically with play rugby? Yeah, uh, definitely can because I mean, play rugby has been has been awesome. All right, so. Uh, Working play rugby, and I'm I'm put up very well by Old Blue, the club out here. So I live I live in New York City. It's one of the most expensive places to live. Um, I'm taken care of, you know, very well by Old Blue. Um, but I do 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 play rugby. Um, on the side, and it is a job. I get paid to do it. But I think what I get back from it is is kind of invaluable. And there's a couple reasons why. And you know, um. I think getting to see the boroughs in New York City and see the kids and getting to experience, it's kind of in line with the amount of traveling I've been able to do. I've been able to see a lot of beautiful places. I've been able to see a lot of different places. Uh, you know, I've been to a lot of different countries and all that. And it's it's kind of the, the, the more you see, the less you know, um, so to speak. And, it, and that's a very interesting thing to think about. But um, – when I go and I get to coach these kids, um, I get a lot more out of it than you'd think. And one of them, like rugby related wise, is it like is a continuous reminder of how simple the game is and, and the basics, right? So 
as a scrum half, I'm very mechanical in my position and, and what I have to execute on a, on a play-to-play basis. And uh, it's kind of fitting that as a coach, I'm coaching a lot of kids on how just simply how to pass. Um, I'm I'm doing drills that I've been doing, you know, with my eyes closed for the last 10 years, but I'm continually working on those. So working with the kids, I, I get really good reminders on what I need to be working on, what I need to stay up with. And, and that's one thing like rugby crossover wise that I think is really special um, about working with the kids. The other thing I'd have to say is just being around the kids it, it teaches you a bit about yourself um, and a bit about a bit about how how you need to go about things. I, w- I would say that there's a lot of guys that I've coached where I might have one one player who is extremely confident in himself and another player that one mistake he'll be down about himself and it's like every player actually needs to be approached. Um, differently and a lot of the players that we coach would play rugby are from you know the quote-unquote underserved communities right so we're working with people who come from backgrounds where they're taking care of their brothers and sisters after school or you know uh, they don't they don't have the family support that I've been so blessed to have throughout my life and so I'm I'm actually getting Go ahead, Jim. I was, I was just saying, so are you guys going into like run camps or are these? Um... So play rugby, play rugby actually uses their, their nonprofit money to create teams. So there's, there's teams at high school level, um, even like U12, U14, there's flag rugby, but all these teams, there's, there's teams, they have programs. And the one I'm referring to in this particular case is a PSAL. So it's like a public school athletics um sort of thing. So it's the same thing that baseball and all those compete in, except we have one for rugby and that's all completely through play rugby USA. Um, so we have a, we have a full, you know, high school competition where these guys play against each other in in sevens. And and these are the guys that I was working with out in the Bronx in Bronx, New York, and they got them in every single borough. Um, in every borough they're, they're playing rugby in these communities and uh half the half the coaches so most most of them we have there's there's academy level there's academy level there's development level and then there's community level from put through play rugby usa so obviously at the academy level it's a bit more rugby focused it's a, it's a lot more about the sport and teaching the training the sport and it's been a great thing because we have a lot of guys who are graduating now um graduating from school and they're going to colleges and they're playing in Northeast, you know, colleges going to Iona, they're going to St. Bonaventure, they're going to these colleges that some of our coaches have even gone to themselves. Um, in the developmental level, we're working with a lot of guys who are a lot of people in communities who maybe just, they just need a sport. Um, they need something to keep them, keep engaged, to learn something and to be a part of. And like, that's, that's a, a whole nother battle in, in itself. And I would say that the, the youth development mentors or the coaches that we have in those in the development and in the community areas are a lot of my teammates for old blue. Um, and they're, I mean, they're, they're the educators of the world right now. They're, they're absolutely, they're from different backgrounds. They're great with the kids. I learned more from being around the other coaches 
uh, when I'm coaching with Play Rugby USA as well than I do just from, you know, being around the kids on my own. It's a pretty good thing. It's, it's, it's a great, it's a great thing. It's in, it's in uh, New York City, Los Angeles, and um, gosh, I'm blanking on the last one. And then another city over on the West Coast, San Francisco. They do not have it in Chicago. It's in San Fran, LA, and, and then uh, New York City. So, And like we were talking about um, before we started recording, I just think it's such a cool idea. A lot of the organizations that we work alongside are doing, it sounds like, what Play Rugby is doing, which is inviting people into a space um, and using that space, some, a place that they actually want to be, to teach all sorts of cool life lessons uh, and set them up for success you know, in the sport as well. But the, the thing that's unique about rugby that I love so much, you mentioned getting it out to every borough. Uh, it's not a super expensive sport. So this is the kind of mm-hmm. thing where if it's done well, if you have the right uh, and you know, well-intended and highly trained coaches in place, um, you can scale that, right? You can, you can share this experience with tons of people at, a, at you know, not a terrible cost, like, a, like football or ice hockey or something like that might take, right? So Right, right. And the, mi- the mindset's a lot different compared to who you're coaching as well. Like I know if I'm coaching – even even coaching high school guys, but if I'm coaching anything younger than high school, it's it's way more about the values and creating an environment that is you know safe, respectful, loving, fun, caring that these kids want to keep coming back to than it is about having a good rugby team. You know what I mean? And and that's a whole different perspective in itself outside of rugby that you cannot you cannot lose sight of because it's invaluable. Like at Old Blue, a men's club. We have one of the best communities that I've ever been able to be a part of. And, and I grew up in one in Minnesota. And my New York City Old Blue Rugby community is is, is absolutely outstanding. Like, um, you just can't find that so easily in all the other – in other sports and just other places throughout the world, you know? For sure. I, I think you're totally right from I, what I've seen of it. It's like you're spot on. And the thing that's so special, that jumps out is so special – Old Blue, Chicago Lions, all the clubs. Um, like the only truth, like we mentioned, is that someday your rugby career is over. So if all you learned through your rugby experiences is, is like how to play rugby, then probably something was missed. But all those, you know, whenever those club meetings come up or, or like we said, when the Lions and Old Blue got together, like the old guys were there, right? They're shaking hands and having a good time too. And there's all sorts of uh, the continuing benefit and alignment with those clubs. I mean, that feels like it maintains... Uh, far mm-hmm. beyond uh, the competition. So it's Definitely. really cool. Um, all right, Nate. Well, listen, the last thing I wanted to say was good luck tonight against Oxford. That is awesome. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that before you take off? They're coming over from – they're coming overseas to take on Old Blue? Yep. They're a, uh, they're a historic club. They have, they have guys who have played for their team who have over 100 caps for England and over 100 uh, professional caps for Premiership Rugby over there. The, these guys are really good. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you gotta find, you gotta find value in the history of them. And then there's also a lot of history with the club that we play for. Uh, there's been an awesome press release about the game, uh, just kind of like a little build up, a little fluffer there. And, uh, um, we've been playing some really good rugby. So, um, we're just excited. I mean, it's a Friday night game, which is kind of out, out of the usual, but um, it's going to be underneath the lights, which is something we all love here as Americans. You know, Friday night lights has always been a thing. Uh, don't don't care what sport it is. So uh, yeah, we're we're extremely excited and uh, should be should be a good contest. I love it, man. Well, best of luck. By the time we publish this, 
we'll be able to give the results of that game. I'm, I hope it's a positive one. Yeah, I hope so too. I hope right. so too. All right, Nate. Thanks again, man. Talk to you soon. Hey, Jim. Jim, thanks. This week's episode is brought to you by Remind Recover. Remind Recover is a supplement that helps athletes support brain health. Similar to how you drink a protein shake to help your muscles recover after a workout, Remind Recover has been scientifically formulated to give you the nutritional building blocks to help support healthy brain function. I am a huge fan of Remind Recover. It is as close to the science as any supplement I've seen and feel free to check out their website for more. It's remindrecover.com. And when you go there, if you want to place an order, and I recommend it, use the code GOODATHLETE for a discount on checkout.